Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You heard big voice guy say it, so you know it must be true. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. And Taylor, I mean, we're still in between sports seasons here in the city of Seattle. Seahawks season done. Mariner season gets underway this week, this upcoming week. So bizarre. So we're out of that dark place almost in the sports calendar. But this time of year, Taylor, you look around every single spot in the sports world. There is something going on. And we've got two hours ahead of us. And I don't know if we're going to be able to get to every single thing that we've got on the docket here. No, no, there's there's way too much happening right now. And that's a good thing that we got to stay busy. we got Seahawks. you got Mariners. you got college basketball, both the good and the bad here in the state of Washington. you got, I mean, just the, the Sweet 16 starts during our show here in about 40 minutes. Um, so, yeah, a lot to talk about. NBA, we don't even have an NBA team here, but the trade deadline, massive in, in the sports world, too. So, I'm excited. I'm happy to be back on the airwaves talking with you, Curtis. We got uh, a lot of good things to talk about this uh, in the next two hours. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. If you want to join in on the conversation, the text line is there for you. 710-710 is the number to text. Uh, Plenty to come your way in the next two hours. Uh, Also, Mariners conversation uh, we got the news yesterday. Jared Kelnick will not be on the opening day roster. I don't think it's that surprising that we got that news when we did, especially late at night on a Friday. But I, I, I do feel a little disappointed that we're not going to see him right away at T-Mobile Park as he's going to be participating in the minor league camp down in Peoria for who knows how long. Who knows, who knows how long it'll take for him to, uh, I guess, get ready in the Mariners' uh, viewpoint. Uh, but that's the big news of the last 24 hours uh, you know, and then also we got the news this week that a couple other uh, pieces for the Seahawks are going to be back. Carlos Dunlap, Al Woods, the, they will be on the Seahawks defensive line, but Jaron Reed getting released yesterday. So a, a furious last 24 hours uh, for both teams in terms of roster moves. We don't quite know the final product for the Mariners roster before opening day, uh, but we should know that probably within the next 24 to 48 hours. But Taylor, I mean, it's it's all a blur at this point. Uh, just hold on, because we we got we got a big one in store for us today. Yeah, and look, things can change at any minute. I think two weeks ago, if you had talked about Jaron Reed not being on this roster, I think you would have been really confused about how you could get there. Yet here we are. Jaron Reed is not going to be a part of this roster for next season, and. You know, Carlos Dunlap coming back. You got Chris Carson coming back. Um, you know, the the Seahawks so far, I would say, are doing a pretty good job in the, in this free agency period to, to stay competitive and keep this team relevant going into next season and trying to, you know, make Russell Wilson feel better about his decision to not force his way out of town. So, and that feels like it was months ago now, and that was just a couple of weeks ago. So that's how much has happened this past week. And again, Mar- the, ne- the next time we talk to you guys after this show, we're going to be talking Mariners regular season baseball. And, and then again, yeah. a year ago today, 
we were talking about nothing because nothing was going on in the sports world. It was on pause. So what a, what a year to be back in this, in this, um, you know, scene where so much is happening in sports. It's so, so great to be back talking about real action in all these different leagues and levels of sports. Absolutely. Let's, let's get into it. Let's waste no more time. Let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, the Seahawks, we talked about it. Free agency period ramping up for them. And it's almost in hyperspeed this past week with the number of signings. And again, the surprising exit that uh, popped up this week. But the good news first, Chris Carson, Carlos Dunlap, some of those names that you grew to love here in the Pacific Northwest. You're going to continue to see them as they try and help the Seahawks get back to that promised land of the Super Bowl. Even adding some pieces, former 49ers pass rusher Kerry Hyder will be joining the D-line group. Hail Hyder, and it's exciting times for the Seahawks as they continue to add, but let's not forget, sometimes the pendulum swings the other way, and you lose players like Jaron Reed, who announced this week he'd be leaving the team after he could not come to a long-term contract extension with the Seahawks. Threw up the deuces, and he's out of town here. So he was released. He's going to join some players like Shaquille Griffin, Philip Dorsett, Carlos Hyde, and Jacob Hollister as some of the Seahawks not returning to this roster. But again, you mentioned it, Curtis. Al Woods going to be returning back to this team. Gabe Jackson coming to this team. Puna Ford, Benson Mayoa, Ethan Posick. Some of those big names that, that have been real role players for the Seahawks team will be back. So what does this mean? What are they going to do for the rest of free agency? Will they do anything? We're going to get into that more here at 1115. Number two. Sweet 16 tipping off today, and it's got a very distinct West Coast vibe to it. Number one overall seed, your Gonzaga Bulldogs, breezing through the first two rounds, but they get a stiffer test tomorrow against number five, Creighton. On the other side of the Zags region, they'll face the winner of USC and Oregon, two of the four Pac-12 teams still alive in the NCAA tournament. The Conference of Champions has been on fire in the big dance, going 9-1 and one to start the tourney with only Colorado having been eliminated. So shout-out to the original Pac-10. Not the Pac-12, I guess, but the Pac-10. Uh, the first game of today features one of those Pac-12 teams. That'd be the Oregon State Beavers taking on everyone's darling Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean with a bid for the Elite Eight on the line. As for a team decidedly not dancing, well, it's been a tumultuous week on Montlake for the Washington Husky program. So far, five players have departed UW's men's hoops program via the transfer portal, including four hometown kids, Eric Stevenson, Nate Pryor, Jerron Brooks, and Raekwon Battle. Is next season already a lost one for UW? We'll discuss later in this hour. Number three. Well, we mentioned it again at the top of the hour here, but spring training winding down, and the Mariners made a couple moves late last night. Jared Kalnick and Julio Rodriguez reassigned to the minor league camp, ending speculation that either of those young stars were ready for the start of this Mariners season. But there was a discussion. Would they go to the alternate training site? Would they go to the minor league camp? Big discussion there. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in depth at 1030 about why they made the decisions they made with these two players and if it was the right decision for them to make. But 
I think we'd be remiss to not mention this giveaway uh, that 710 is doing, a cool yes. opportunity that, that we're giving you here. Opening day, it's just five days away, and you could be the fan who has the opportunity to welcome live sports back, open the gates at T-Mobile Park, and welcome fans back into that live sports scene here in, here in Seattle. All you got to do is tune in on Monday, starting at 7 a.m. They're going to give you instructions on what to do, how to call, when to call to be entered to win that experience. I mean, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Who knows if the sports world will ever go on pause again. So the fact that you get to hit the play button here in Seattle, really, really cool opportunity. So uh, make sure you're tuning in on Monday all day because there'll, there'll be a bunch of opportunities for you to win an opportunity and, and be entered to win that uh, those tickets because you get two tickets to go see the game too. You're not just opening the gates and, and getting out of Dodge going to get a hot dog on your way out. You're going to watch the game too with uh, 9,000 estimated other fans. Yeah, that is where you want to be uh, if you don't have tickets to the Mariners home opener on April 1st. This is the, uh, this is the cheapest way you can get in and also have a very important responsibility beforehand opening those gates at T-Mobile Park. Uh, yeah, make sure you are tuning in all day Monday for your chance to win those tickets and, and to enter into that contest uh, for that opportunity to open the gates. That is this hour's Big Three here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Some honorable mentions. Taylor, last weekend we saw Eastern Washington give Kansas a bit of a test in the first round. They fell short oh, yeah. ultimately, but the Groves brothers, Jacob and Tanner, both playing out of their minds uh, for Eastern. Well, it looks like they might be playing elsewhere next season as they have both entered the transfer portal. Kind of interesting how uh, head coach Shante Leggins took over the Portland program shortly after Eastern was eliminated from the NCAA tournament. Maybe that's a destination for them. Maybe they head west in the state we just talked about. Uh, the Huskies having plenty of open roster spots right now, and we're going to talk more about what's uh, sort of on the plate for the Huskies or what's not on the plate for the Huskies going into next season because uh, the cupboard's a little bare right now. Maybe there's an opportunity for those two guys, those two brothers who uh, clearly can score the ball. Uh, hopefully, you know, they find a good landing spot for them. And then also, Taylor, the Sounders, uh, their season mm -hmm. gets underway here pretty soon, right? Uh, and yeah, they a couple unveiled. Weeks. Yeah, they unveiled. Uh, a very interesting third kit that I think at, at face value is kind of like, why are those colors on the Sounders kit? But the backstory of it, uh, I think, is a really cool one. What What is the Sounders third jersey themed after this? Yes, yeah, so it's like a purple psychedelic-looking jersey, um, and it pays tribute to Jimi Hendrix, and it's in, in working with the Jimi Hendrix Foundation, and it pays homage to him and his legacy of being sort of his own trendsetter and blazing his own trail and and you know the vibrant colors with the Jimi hendrix experience and all of that it's so cool to see seattle sort of lean into that again it's a third third uniform it's not going to replace the green and blue that you're used to but really really cool alternate jersey sold out instantly they restocked it sold out again so uh, I, touche to everyone at the Sounders for for sort of thinking outside the box there. And if you haven't, go look at them. It's got the cool. Um, I think it's got the Puyallup 
uh, tribe tribal logo actually on the sleeve as well. I'm if I'm not mistaken. So um, cool to just see them lean into all of the things that make us us here in the Pacific Northwest. So shout out to the Sounders. Absolutely, I think I saw a really cool feature on that jersey. If you take a picture of it and invert the colors, so you have the negative colors. Uh, it is the Sounders colors it's the green and the white so it's like whoa that's a little uh you know thinking with your third eye on that uh very open it up cool yeah exactly (laughs) very different uh way they've gone about it but i i i enjoy the look as well the sounders always doing stuff that is outside the box and it's why they are one of the most successful franchises in north american sports they have been uh, just at the forefront of innovation through their decade plus of existence. Uh, one team that is looking to get back to the front of their league, that'd be the Seahawks. They've made some moves in free agency. How are they doing? How would we grade them through about two weeks of free agency? And after the moves made with Carlos Dunlap and Jaron Reed, how will that impact the Seahawks' decision-making this offseason? We get into that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports Saturday. The Seahawks have been, I think, a lot busier than people had anticipated them to be this offseason, especially when you looked at the cap space that they had right after the season started, or right after the season ended, I should say and also the draft capital that they were working with. I don't know if any of us anticipated them being able to re-sign as many guys as they had and also look outside the organization because they've made, I think, about what four signings of guys uh, from other teams or, or other free agents, uh, Akila Witherspoon, Kerry Hyder, Al Woods, and Gerald Everett. Uh, and then you know, you've know you got Chris Carson coming back, Benson Mayoa, Ethan Posick, Carlos Dunlap, Puna Ford, Nick Ballore. I mean, they they have been very active, more so than I think we're used to seeing them be at this point of the year, Taylor. It's one thing to be active. It's another thing to be effective while being active and spending that money wisely. How, how do you see the Seahawks now after the first couple of weeks of free agency based off of where you might have thought they'd be at this point? I, I think they're about where I thought they would be. I think they've added a couple more players. To be honest, I thought they this is around the time they would be most active in adding some of those free agents. We've seen them sort of sit out the first few waves, if you will, of free agency before. Um, and I think you knew Shaquille Griffin was most likely going to be an L that this team took this off season. Uh, Philip Dorsett, you know, what, what did he even provide to this team? So do, is there even any sort of net loss there? Um, and you know, Carlos Hyde, I think was a really great sort of fill in running back for those injuries that we saw. And then Jacob Hollister has already been replaced. So the, to the players that they lost, they've already done a really good job sort of thinking that way. But the big issue was the Jaron Reed situation, right? Losing Jaron Reed, not being able to come to that long-term contract extension with him. So that that's going to affect my grade for this offseason so far. That's the biggest sort of, you know, red check on the paper, if you will, because 
that that was a solid, reliable player. You just knew exactly what you were getting with Jaron Reed. Yes, he had a little bit of a step back season last season. Not a bad season, but didn't have the season quite like he did two years ago. But boy, it's uh, it's just a strange situation that it it dissolved so quickly. And uh, we'll we'll be talking about this one, I think, for a little bit about why why this happened. Yeah, I think for me, the Jaron Reed situation, the thing I'm most disappointed with is the Seahawks weren't able to get anything in return for him. And I think that was due in large part to what the Seahawks were going to have to pay him coming into 2021. And I think that price point scared off a lot of teams. The The age at which he is, he's 28 years old. The production that we've seen from him, I mean, he's a, he's a good defensive tackle. I don't think there's any doubt about that mm-hmm. in the league. I don't know if there's... I don't know if he'll ever get back to the level that he played in, in, I think it was, what, 2018 when he had double-digit sacks that year. But he is a good player, and I'm I'm a little disappointed the Seahawks weren't able to get anything in return for him. Um, but that's just kind of the price you pay when you're you know up near the salary cap. You're going to have to make some tough decisions, Jaron Reed being one of those. But I don't necessarily think the Seahawks got worse by letting him go and because with letting him go, you bring back Carlos Dunlap, who was a force on your defensive line and made a lot of people better last year uh, just simply because of his presence. And you look at the pass rush situation right now for the Seahawks. You've got Dunlap, Kerry Hyder, Benson Mayoa. You've got Daryl Taylor, who's hopefully, knock on wood, will play this upcoming season. Uh, he's a second-round pick. Alton Robinson had you know, a pretty decent season compared to where he got drafted. And then you've also got Rasheem Green. That's a pretty deep pass rush rotation right there. Uh, LJ Collier, you can throw him in that mix too. I, I, I really like the moves that they have made with their pass rush unit because as we've seen over the last two or three years, that hasn't really been an area they've emphasized in, in free agency or anything like that. Now that they have a lot of these guys back and, and, and under contract, you're not going to be spending you know the weeks of training camp and the first couple weeks of the season kind of scouring the market, saying you know, you know maybe we could go out and trade for this guy or, or, or sign this guy. When I I don't know if the Seahawks are going to be adding any more to the pass rush group because I don't know if they need any more. Yeah, and, I, and Curtis, I think that's a great point. When you think about this team at their best, right? 2013, everyone talks about the LOB. It's the big name. But that defensive line, that front was deep, and they were fantastic. And I think that was one of the reasons why it allowed the LOB to play so freely in the back of the field is they knew the guys up front were going to get there. They were going to get home to the quarterback. They were going to get that pressure. They were going to make him awkward, force him outside, think, you know, go through the progressions. And I think that's what the Seahawks were trying to rebuild this season was that depth, right? Cliff Averill and, and Michael Bennett were third down guys. They were rotating in. They weren't starting. <laughs> and when you think about it, again, Al Woods, another guy who's going to be rotating in to bring some of that depth. They're not going to be leaning on Al Woods to be a – you know, six to eight sack guy, but to come in and to relieve some of those guys, keep them fresh so that later in the game, third quarter, fourth quarter, when Pete Carroll apparently likes to win games, the the D line is still fresh and you're getting after the quarterback and you're having that impact from that position group still. So that is a nice 
sort of change of pace for the Seahawks this offseason. That's why I think I would grade them in the high Bs. You know what I mean? The losing Jaron Reed, I think, knocked them from the A grade down to the B grade. But a B-plus right now, pre-draft, 12-win team previously with all of the contracts coming up, with all of the lack of cap space, it's hovering on that B-plus, A-minus grade for me, for sure, for this offseason. Yeah, now I don't think they're anywhere near being done in terms of player movement. I mean, they've only got the three draft picks, so there could be a possibility of a veteran player getting moved uh, in order to retain some draft capital. Maybe uh, that pick at number 56, they trade that down to acquire some more. Um, but I, I think the Seahawks right now, just based off of where they were heading into the offseason, have been able to make a mountain out of a molehill. They've been able to, uh, you know, spread their money around in ways that I don't know a lot of us even thought of they could do uh, beforehand. To me, I would give the Seahawks uh, a solid B for the start of free agency here. And we know that they're never going to be a team that hands out, you know, that seven-year, $100 million contract to the biggest free agent name on the market. That's just never going to be them. It never has been, and it never will be. As much as, as how much we would want them to be that team, uh, that's just never been their MO. And, you know, they're pretty successful in how they go about it. Um, I, I really like the moves that they made in bringing a lot of these guys back. I think bringing Chris Carson back was very important because I don't think you have anybody currently on the roster that could take over as an every down back. Rashad Penny, yeah, he's a first round pick, but he's only, you know, a year removed from uh, a season ending injury. He barely played last year. Uh, you've got Alex Collins behind him. There just isn't a whole lot of running back depth. Bringing Carson back, especially at the price point that they did, he is not going to be breaking the Seahawks bank this season and potentially next season either. There's, they could cut him after this year if he doesn't perform well. Um, you know, I think that was a move that the Seahawks made that is going to uh, not hamper them at all. And if you can get another 1,000-yard season out of Chris Carson, bring him back next year. Do it again at a comfortable price point. I really like that move. Um, I think this move I was most surprised by is Ethan Posick coming back at center. I think that was one of the more surprising ones, considering the comments that Russell Wilson has made this offseason. I, I thought they were going to upgrade the center position. Now they still might. Uh, you know, They upgraded with Gabe Jackson at guard, but I don't know what the center position is going to look like. I, I was very surprised by Posa coming back. How about you, Taylor? I wasn't that surprised. Uh, the reason why, you know, I, I usually take Big Ray Roberts' word about offensive line and the happenings in that group. And he talked a lot about how having those two really solid guards on either side of the center can truly help make up the deficit for where that player's skill level is. So to me, they did address the guards, so they brought in some great talent there. You're hoping that that can then lead to Ethan Posick playing a little bit better with the two people next to him he can trust. You know what I mean? They can stand there in the middle and truly be that front line of defense on offense for the quarterback there. So I wasn't surprised that they brought him back. Um I would have been 
if it, there hadn't been no Gabe Jackson move, if there had been some still some questions at those guard positions, then maybe I'd be like, wait, hold on a second. They're just they're going to bring him back. And you then you might have seen Russell freak out. But Russell seemed to be liking tweets and retweeting a whole lot of Gabe Jackson content. So uh, <laughs> I am assuming again, I don't want to speak for Russell Wilson, but I'm assuming he was a fan of that move. You don't want to speak for Russell Wilson because you know Colin Cowherd will call you out just like he did Jake Heaps earlier in the week. I mean, we're I I am close with Colin. We talk on a day to day basis, <laughs> and he'll tell you that. He'll definitely tell you that. He definitely will. Whether it's true or not, he'll tell you exactly that. Um, I guess the biggest fish remaining though for the Seahawks here uh, is KJ Wright. What do you do with him? Do you bring him yeah. back? I think the market is trending towards the Seahawks' favor. Um, just simply because linebackers at KJ Wright's age aren't going to be making top dollar like they would, you know, at age twenty six, twenty seven. KJ's a veteran. He, he, you know, he's coming off one of his best seasons that he had a year ago. Do you think KJ Wright comes back in twenty twenty one to the Seahawks? Because you know, the longer this goes, I think it it trends more and more in the Seahawks' way. I totally agree with that, Curtis. And that's no disrespect to KJ. He's been playing so great and, and might have been the best linebacker on the Seahawks last year, the way he played. But again, the market just sort of is what it is. And that has nothing to do with what KJ, if he had done this a couple of years ago when the linebacker market was booming, when Bobby got his new deal too, I mean, who knows what his sort of deal would have looked like playing the way he played this season in that market. But unfortunately there just isn't a lot of competition to sign linebackers. So it's not driving that price up, unfortunately for KJ, which I think fortunately for the Seahawks means that he will most likely end up back here. And I, I couldn't be happier about that because I think he's such a, Look, he was the Seattle Sports Star of the Year for a reason. He's a, a star on the field, and he's a star off the field. And, and having a guy like K.J. Wright in the Seattle community, I think, and on the Seahawks, will only be a positive. One of the best to ever do it in the Seahawks uniform. Mm -hmm. Coming up in this hour, uh, about 15 minutes from now, we're going to take a look at the situation facing Husky basketball as there's just about nobody on that roster anymore as everybody hitting the transfer portal. But up next, the Mariners make news last night by sending Jared Kelnick down to the minor league camp. Was that the right move for him? Was that the right move for the organization? We discuss that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Don't go anywhere today on 710 ESPN Seattle because immediately following us, Shannon Dreher and myself, we'll be getting you a Mariners season preview special from 1 to 3. That's right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. So make sure you're sticking around for that. But yesterday, Taylor, we got the big news late night, uh, the, the Friday news dump, as we are very accustomed to in this industry. If you don't want people talking about you, let the news uh, hit on a Friday night. And the Mariners making some roster cuts yesterday. Julio Rodriguez sent down to the minor league camp. And then the big fish, Jared Kelnick, he gets moved down to minor league camp as well pretty much confirming what we had anticipated all off season, despite his performance in the Cactus League, where 
you know, he was hitting the ball very well. He had that minor injury, the adductor strain that kept him out for 10 days. Uh, but Taylor, the news hits last night. Your immediate reaction to Kelnick getting sent down was? I was both, it was bittersweet. I, I think that's the best way to put it. It's bittersweet. Look, I think my head says it's a smart move. Keep him down. Let him get fully healthy. Get some more confidence. Make sure everything is good to go. He's still so young. So the fact that he has this much potential, you don't need to rush it. This isn't the season where you're pushing to to make it, right? And anything you get is is a positive because it's all going to be learning and comfort and all of that. So to me... Let him go down there, and uh, we'll get into the reasoning why they picked the minor league first, the alternate training site, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But the disappointment, and I think the 253 nails it here. They texted in, you know, I'm glad baseball is back, but I want to see the stars, and I'm I'm really disappointed that Kelnick is not going to be on the MLB roster. And I agree. Like, it's been so long since you had these young stars in Seattle, and you have Kyle Lewis and Kelnick and Julio, and all these pieces feel like they are just budding stars in Major League Baseball, and they're here. They're controllable pieces for the Mariners for, for at least the next few years. So t- to me, I, I share that disappointment with the 253 that, man, it's been so long. I just want to see some of these young stars, what it's like again to have that excitement, to see those diving catches, the athletic plays, the gold gloves, multiple gold gloves. Those things are starting to return to Seattle, and I agree selfishly as a Mariners fan that I want to see those things too. So there's the disappointment there, but also I understand there's a process and they need to take this process seriously because that's how you sustain success in major league baseball. What about you, Curtis Kelnick, Julio Friday night, not, not going to be on the MLB roster. What's your reaction? Yeah. Julio wasn't a surprise to me. I, I think that one was very expected, even though he played very well for his, uh, you know, in the cactus league, the Kelnick one, I think was, definitely disappointment just because you know how bad he wants to be in the major leagues you know you can hear it every time he talks obviously in that column with Bob Nightingale of USA Today you knew where his head was at he felt as though Kevin Mathers comments uh, pretty much you know told the whole story which I mean let's be real they did Uh, and to me, you know, you don't want to see somebody who you're pinning a lot of your hopes on get off to, you know, you know, a false start with the organization and the organization get off to a false start with them. Like you could tell that the, the relationship was a little bit strained at that point. I think it did improve, though, throughout camp. And you heard it last night in Kelnick's comments to the media after being asked about it. You know, he he was very cordial, very professional about it, said, you know, he understands why the organization's doing this. Um, you know, he said, all I could do is is go out there and play my best, and I feel like I did that, and I, I think he did as well. Um, yeah, you know, that texture that said, I want to see stars at the major league level, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And you look at where this Mariners organization has been and where it's going, where – the last time they had a prospect with as much hype as Jared Kelnick has right now was probably Felix Hernandez 
back in around 2004, 2005. And I think he debuted in, in 2005. And when he debuted, he was amazing. But then he took his lumps the next couple of seasons, you know, was was a good pitcher, not a superstar level pitcher, but then became that superstar pitcher that we all know and love here in Seattle. Uh, Kelnick, to me, I think the level of expectation in the organization is star level player, which is incredible. And, and, you know, we saw some big prospects get promoted over the last decade or so with like Justin Smoke, Dustin Ackley, Jesus Montero, probably the three biggest. But I don't know if any of them had super-duper star, you know, sort of labeled on them before they even got to the big leagues. Whereas Jared Kelnick, I, I mean, by all accounts, is going to be a dude when he gets to Major League Baseball. I I think the Mariners are doing this maybe to protect him, maybe to say, hey, like, let's let's – sort of take the spotlight off you a little bit in order for you to get a little more experience under your belt. But I don't know if Kelnick's a guy that wants the spotlight off of him. I think this is a guy that wants to perform under the brightest lights on the biggest stage. That's where he, you know, that's, that's where he feels most comfortable. Uh, it, it's a unique problem to have. It's a good problem to have, by the way, because it means you've got a superstar in your system I don't know if the relationship is ever going to be fully repaired to where Kelnick may accept a contract extension down the road, you know, Fernando Tatis level type payday. Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to come his way based off of how the Mariners have handled these last, you know, couple of years of his development. Yeah, but I think one of the things, the positive, I think that I, sort of just jumped into my head here when we were talking about this is adversity. Look, he hasn't had to go through a whole lot of adverse situations. Of course, last year, the cancellation of the season, the delay of minor, you know, the cancellation of the minor league season, the delay of major league season, all of those things were a factor. But as far as him not having that spotlight, not getting some of the things he wants, he's got to get ready to, to take some L's in major league baseball. Look, the best hitters of all time fail 60% of the time, right? So he's got to get ready for that adversity, for those failures, for those roadblocks. And I think this is one unintentional consequence of that is look at his reaction, Curtis. You, you just mentioned it. He was cordial. He came out and he said the right things. He, he's going to go out there and compete. And I'm assuming, again, you'll see the production on the field from all of those things leading to that, right? So... He's doing everything the right way. You're getting this young guy to to show that he can be a leader, that he can take that L and go, you know what? I understand this is for the organization. We move on. We go from here. We, we push forward. And those are the young players that truly come in this league and make an impact. They have that strong, you know, upper mental game where they're one of their biggest feats is between their shoulders, between their ears and how strong mentally they are. So I'm looking forward to how Kelnick uses this to motivate himself to go out there, to compete at the highest level and to show that, look, you did make the right decision, but it still is going to motivate me to show you why you made the wrong decision here. And I love that sort of attitude from a player and look, 
If he comes up in balls at the major league level, give him the contract because I want that guy here playing for my team for years to come. Those are the players I want to build around. Yeah, and, and the Mariners, uh, it's been a long time since they've had anybody of his ilk, and it, it seems like you know he's not the only one with Julio Rodriguez waiting in the wings as well. Uh, you you yep. wonder if the Mariners will approach Julio's situation any differently than they did with Kelnick, especially with how public it played out. You know, maybe next year they do something a little different with Julio. Remains to be seen, but uh, you know, the Mariners, there, what this team looks like on opening day on Thursday is going to be a far cry from what it looks like in June, July, August, and September this season. And I think it's simply because of the, the, the wave of talent, the next wave of talent that's coming up. The Mariners love to promote guys in groups. We saw that with uh, Justice Sheffield, Justin Dunn, Kyle Lewis. Those three guys uh, have become you know regulars in the lineup and, and in the rotation. Now we're going to see the next wave. It's going to be Jared Kelnick and Logan Gilbert. Uh, we're going to see, you know, next year probably guys like Julio Rodriguez, maybe George Kirby, somebody like that. So uh, there, there's just a, a lot of waves coming, and you know the Mariners have been very, very disciplined in sticking to this path, and you know clearly they're not going to waver from that uh, with anybody else they bring up. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday, the Husky basketball program. Well. They don't have much going right right for them right now, including being able to retain talent. We've seen five players enter the transfer portal this week. How can they fix this? Is there any sort of quick fix in order for them to get back to just a competitive level in the Pac-12? We discuss that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. NCAA tournament going on right now. You've got the Beavers trailing Loyola Chicago just five to one. We're only minutes into that ball game uh, between those two clubs. Uh, Twelve against an eight seed, moving on or chance to move on to the Elite Eight with a victory there. Oregon State in the Pac-12. I mean, they didn't make the tournament, or they weren't going to make the tournament unless they won the Pac-12 tournament, which they did, and in a Cinderella story. And now they're playing for a chance at an Elite Eight, a place that they that program has not been to in a long time. Taylor, when you see a team like Oregon State winning at the level that they've been doing over the last you know couple months here, it makes you wonder why the Huskies can't, at least at, at this current junction in time, because there is no reason, no earthly reason for Oregon State to have completely lapped the Huskies. There's no reason, you know, for Washington basketball to be as bad as it has been the last two seasons. 9 and 29 in Pac-12 play. And yeah, the conference is 9 and 1 to start the NCAA tournament, but it's not as though this conference during the regular season has been at the level of the ACC or the Big 10 or or anything like that. Taylor, it, it's just so mind-boggling, so frustrating as Seattle sports fans and, and people who have grown up watching this program 
to see them be as bad as they are in an area where you should be able to put together a team that is competitive just with the guys in your own backyard. And we saw them be a number one seed. Like, that's not even that long ago, Curtis, that they were at the top of the top, that they were one of the destination programs, not only in the Pac-12 or then the Pac-10, but in the country. And that Romar had that whole program clicking, and it just felt like they were getting five stars and local, you know, solid local recruits. And they could do no wrong, it felt like. They could get who they wanted, when they wanted, and slowly they sort of lost their identity. And I think it all comes back to identity, especially here on the West Coast and especially with these non-Blue Blood programs. There's no identity on Montlake. What what do they do? Yes, they try and play the zone, but do they have the right guys to play the zone? Do the, do the guys there want to play the zone? Is it a forced issue? You know, what are they doing on offense? Can they even draw up offensive plays? You know, they lost a couple or they're going to lose a couple coaches, have already lost some coaches, players going to the transfer portal. So it, it it is such a confusing time for UW basketball because not too long ago, they were at the top of the top and now they're in the basement. I think they are the basement program currently today in the Pac-12, which is wild to think about, even as a Coug fan. It's wild to think about the Cougs have more of an identity, more of a solid picture of what they want to be and who they want to be going forward than the dogs do on Montlake with with what's happening here in Seattle basketball too. Look, Paolo Banchero might be one of the best recruits in the state's history. And the fact that UW was irrelevant in his sort of recruiting chase is a sad state for the state of basketball here at, on Montlake. Yeah, they couldn't even keep the brother of Jalen Noel in state. Jalen Noel, Pac-12 player of the year under Mike Hopkins, Shane Noel, his brother, going to play for Sean Miller at Arizona. So it just makes no sense to see the Huskies where they are considering the resources and the geography in, that is going to play in their favor. I mean, this is a program that has no excuse to be where they are. And unfortunately, the only reason it seems that Mike Hopkins is going to return next season is is that $12 million buyout that would have to be you know, utilized if they did move on from him. And we've talked about this a little bit during the week with, with uh, Jake Heaps and Stacey Rost, where that almost comes down to a booster problem because let's say Washington football had struggles and their head coach needed a $12 million buyout for them to move on. You don't think there's somebody that, that would fork over that cash in their booster club for the football program? There absolutely would be. But the basketball program seems to not be cared about as much as the football program amongst the Husky fan base. And that might be tough to hear for a lot of UW fans that are, are tuning in right now. But it just that's just how it's always been. The football program is what drives that athletic department. And for whatever reason, the, the fever around basketball just has not been there the way it has been around football. I, I look at the Husky basketball program, and yeah, you can fill this roster out next year by getting grad transfers and, and getting guys into the program right away, but they haven't even been able to recruit. They haven't been able to 
keep these hometown guys. You look at the guys that have entered the transfer portal, four of the five are hometown players. They are guys from this area in the Northwest. I mean, you can't even keep the hometown guys around right now. Uh, It's just so crazy, Taylor. And, And I don't know if there's a quick fix. And if there is... I'd love to be able to to be able to snap my finger and get this program back to where it should be because I don't know if it's ever gotten to where it should be. It, it's definitely had its moments, but it should be a top level Pac-12 program. I think step one for that program is you got to lean into the roots of success here, and the the name everyone talks about. I agree with this wholeheartedly. I think it's Brandon Roy's time. I think it's time for him to be in charge of that program. I think it's time for them to lean into Will Conroy a little bit more. I think it's time for them to consider some of the other local names, Jamal Crawford, Nate Robinson, tapping into them as special assistants to the team. It's it's time to tap into the vein of Seattle high school basketball because right now – it's flush here. There's a, an immense amount of talent in the state of Washington when it comes to basketball recruits. And the fact that UW is irrelevant, the $12 million buyout is going to cost them more in long-term damage than short-term dollars. So to me, they ha- and I, lo- I, I was a big, big Hopkins guy. I loved the hire. I thought it was the right time to move on from Romar. I thought B-Roy wasn't quite ready when they needed to hire Hopkins, and I thought Hopkins would come in and bring an identity. I honestly thought he would bring that zone, get some of the guys, get some of these long, lanky players here in the state of Washington, add some of those other guys who, who want to play in that type of system. Like you see in Syracuse, they might not all be NBA talent players, but they know how to go to a system and play. and. They just haven't done that. There is no identity. So the easiest, quickest fix, get Brandon Roy, lean into Seattle basketball is UW basketball. Get that identity to to mesh as much as possible and see if you can build from there. B-Roy may not be the coach for the next 20 years, but I think he's the guy to get those five-star recruits, get the players, get the excitement, even with boosters, back into the program there on Montlake and UW. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way to predict the kind of college coach Brandon Roy would be, but you can easily predict the energy, the jolt that would be sent through the program if somebody like him or, or just somebody of a, a known name to Husky fans was named head coach after Mike Hopkins. Because I, I honestly, I do not see Mike Hopkins surviving past next season. I think he, he coaches out next year, and then they pull the plug and, and and start over. That just seems to be where this program's headed, unless a miracle happens. Uh, and the Huskies are able to get back to the tournament. You know, I don't see it ever happening uh, in the 2021-2022 season, but... Yeah, maybe Brandon Roy is that answer. Maybe he is somebody that can get this program back to just respectability. You look at, uh, I think the most recent example of bringing a famous alum to coach your your basketball program, Michigan and Jawan Howard. And, you know, Jawan Howard didn't have much head coaching experience. He had been an assistant briefly in the NBA, but the Wolverines are a one seed right now. They're still alive in the NCAA tournament, and Jawan Howard has shown an ability to recruit I don't think there's anybody denying Brandon Roy's ability to recruit. I mean, look at what he did at Nathan Hale. Uh, <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, uh, that's that one's for Jim Moore right there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the Husky program, if you want to build, if you're a program builder, if you're somebody that wants to really leave your mark on a program, there may not be a more inviting school than UW right now just because of the opportunities that could be had. Uh, but yeah, the Huskies, they need something to go right for them because it is going to be a long road back over the next couple of seasons. Coming up in the next hour, we'll take a look at the Sweet 16 scoreboard. One game going on right now, plenty more. And also a couple of big trades in the NFL yesterday, not involving players just yet, but some serious draft pick uh, some serious draft picks going between other teams' hands. We'll get into all of that coming up in the next hour. This is Seattle Sports Saturday.